Hello and welcome back to the Future Work Life podcast. My name's Ollie Henderson and I've got a return guest today. It's Christine Armstrong. She first appeared on the show in March 2021 and she's back again. If you don't know Christine, but you are interested in the future of work, then you've probably seen her vlogs on LinkedIn. She publishes them every Friday and they are both an informative and entertaining view on the world of work right now. Christine and her company, Armstrong and Partners, conduct and analyze research into what works and doesn't work in the workplace and she and her team are constantly speaking to people at all levels of organizations to understand how they're responding to the challenges that we're facing right now and also creating new opportunities so today you're going to hear us talk about the latest research into hybrid work what's driving people back into the office or not as the case may be we also have a discussion about the obvious pressures which the economy is bringing to bear on people at the moment and how different companies are responding to that Christine's always a fascinating listen, so I'm sure you're going to enjoy this today. If you want to also check out our previous episode, you can dig back into the archives, but I've also put a link in the show notes. If you do enjoy listening today, you probably want to check out my recent conversation with Phil Kirshner last week from McKinsey, and also go back to the conversations I had with Linda Gratton and Tim Oldman earlier this year. Just very quickly before we start, as you probably know by now, my book's out in January. You can pre-order now, and I've put a link in the show notes. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Christine Armstrong. So Christine, it's really nice to speak to you again this morning. I think we last spoke about 18 months ago. So I'd be really interested to start and hear whether you've learned anything since then to suggest that the work of the near future will ever again look like the work of three years ago? Oh, that's a great question. So I have a model which I use, um, which divides the working models that we're seeing emerging into six. And my view is that the old model will exist for those people that choose to work to the old model. Sorry, that's the dog. Uh, So the old model will exist for those people that choose to work in that style, but it won't be universally run through the workplace as it was pre-pandemic. So there will be lots of other models on offer. And I think that that model will work for some people where it suits their brand, uh, where it suits their talent base, where they've got the money to pay the extra money that people are going to want to work in that model. Uh, But people can have a lot more options. It's not going to be as easy as it was prior to the pandemic where it was just the default. So, so we'll probably return to what characterizes some of the companies that would actually want to work in that way later. But just yeah. sort of flip the question around. What trends do you see now which suggest that actually work has permanently changed or how we th- think about work and employment has yeah. changed forever? I think the trend that we see now is the insatiable appetite that people have to work in a different way from pre-COVID. And I think a lot of bosses and leaders are really struggling with it. They almost cannot comprehend the depth of feeling that people have about wanting to work flexibly. Um, And, you know, there's a a guy who's one of my neighbours who works at one of the big London banks. He now goes in two or three days a week. I ran into him this morning, dropping his boys off at school. And just like, you know, the smile on his face, he's still going to do a full Mm. day's work. He's dropping his kids off. I'll see him again at 3.30, say hi to him. He'll go back to work. But it's changed his life in such an immeasurably delightful, positive way. He's more involved at home. He's more capacity to think. It's really, really exciting. I think 
where we're going to see the tension is where, you know, the KPMG data, they, um, I'm sure you saw it, but I think they spoke to about 1,300 CEOs in August and, you know, 60, 65% of them want to be back full time within three years. So I think that tension is going to be fascinating. But I think that those CEOs are going to be fighting an uphill battle because uh, the demand for working differently is so huge and the reason it's so huge is because the way that work was that wasn't working for most people before the pandemic it worked really well if you had a stay-at-home partner who did everything else and ran the house and the kids and everything else for you or maybe if you lived alone it worked really well for you if you're the boss and had your own office and your commute was okay uh, but it didn't work for loads of other people and I think that's sort of that's come into focus. So your neighbour would potentially fit into one of the two camps that you just highlighted in your research when it comes to hybrid work. And perhaps the bosses might fit into another. So uh, rather than me be incredibly vague and mysterious, can you explain what those two camps are and what those attitudes towards hybrid work tell us okay so if you look at the six different categories so you've got all remote which we see mostly with the tech companies or a lot of the tech companies where they may have an office they may not but there's no obligation at all to show up then you've got work from anywhere which is sort of being very much spoken about by professor chowdhury from Harvard, mm. which is the idea that you have all remote, you may have an office or not, but you have regular retreats and getaways. And he very much thinks that might be the model we end up drifting to for high talent jobs. Then you've got two versions of hybrid, which is, I think, what you're asking about. Um, and I call them fixed and fluid hybrid. So fixed hybrid is this team or this organisation or this office comes into the office on these days and it's specified. So it could be it's very often Monday, Tuesday, sorry, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but it could be any combination. It's very regular. It's very predictable. Um, and the teams get together and office work is designed around who's in on those days. Fluid hybrid um, is where a lot of organisations started after lockdown, which is, hey, you're all grown ups come in on the days that you need to um, and we'll you know, we'll see you if you show up. Um, And then obviously at the other end of scale, you've got a full return to the office. And then you've also got the option of a four day week, which is a slightly different way of approaching it. Yeah, you're right. I was talking about hybrid there and particularly the sort of the ticks and the adopters. Are we just talking about this interim period where people are having to just get used to the way it is and bosses fall into that? Are they just accepting gradually that with every single initiative they run to try and get people back, which ultimately fails because people are voting with their feet they're just going to have to accept it and that that sort of drives the adoption to a new model and those ceos might want to get people back but it's not necessarily the case that all leaders um, however we categorize those actually want people back in the office and certainly not themselves so we've seen some data on that haven't we that if you ask leaders how many days they, they think that they should work in the office it's higher than the actual number of days that they personally turn up yeah. which i find hugely entertaining um okay. i think you've got um a very high pressured middle so very often the people driving the big return are the most senior people in organizations so if we were to stereotype them we'd say they're a bit older they're more likely to be male they're more likely to have done extremely well in the old office environment so it has worked very well for them and they don't see any problem with it or any reason to change it totally fair enough from their perspective and they're the ones that like we, this is 
bollocks. We need to just get back to working properly. You know, we need to get everyone back. Mm. I think directly below those, as you say, you've got a group of leaders who are incredibly stressed out by conflicting pressures. A, they want to work flexibly themselves. And B, they know they'll lose half of their teams if their bosses keep increasing the demands for the number of days in the office. And so they're kind of going to, if I interview them, I'm sure you speak to them as well. I can't keep my team in current job market. I can't afford to replace them either. Um, And I don't even know where I'd find the talent. I don't have time to find the talent. Like I just can't destabilize my team to this degree. So we need to, you know, have a model that people want to work in. And I think that's the real conflict that we're seeing at the moment. Mm. You mentioned Professor Chowdhury there and the sort of high talent market. Look, I mean, we are speaking in October 2022 and the economy is, you know, a shit show, as is certainly <laughs> in the UK. The, uh, the, I mean, I don't, if, the, if the economy is a shit show, I'm not sure what we would call politics at the moment. But anyway, needless to say, things don't look great out there. And yet there's a lot of confidence still in certain parts of the talent market, aren't there? From In terms of individual candidates, there doesn't seem to be diminished confidence that in a certain part of the market that people are going to be able to move for more money and quite a big chunk more money to actually get people out the door, it seems. Well, I think there's just a shortage of talent in the skills that people need at the moment. And so there and, and lots of businesses... You know, in cartoons where the character runs off the cliff and they're still running and running, even though there's air underneath them, it feels like a lot of businesses are still reporting quite good results and kind of going, Mm. actually, it hasn't happened yet. When does it happen? When does it happen? And there's still this need for people to get on with these jobs. I was talking to people yesterday who can't hire for key roles. And so this sense that the market is... um, that that talent is scarce and that you've got to pay for it and treat it really well is continuing. Now, I think what you're kind of alluding to is if the if if they stop running on air and fall to the bottom cliff, you know, when the economy really hits the wall, does that change? I think it will for a lot of people in a lot of sectors, but maybe not those high talent skills that people really strongly feel that they need. And interestingly, just going back to the KPMG CEO data, the global view is this recession will be very short. So it may be that you know, even if people feel like, you know, if they think it's not going to last more than a year, they're, they're still going to want the talent come up on the other side. So they still may feel like there's a shortage. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the dynamics change, don't they, when hiring is more global and certainly and actually interestingly some of those some of the categories or the skill sets which are more in demand and short in supply often and again I'm generalizing but often are the types of people you are hiring from other countries or at least the number if you look at percentages and the number of say I don't know cybersecurity specialists increasingly we're having to hire out of other parts of the world and I suppose that mitigates the risk and also reduces the pressure on those sorts of wages or you know contract fees because people can access the opportunities from anywhere in the world well it can work that way or it can work in the reverse i've been doing interviews with hr leaders in the middle east and you know they're saying that saudi is just spending so much money and scooping up talent from all over mm. the middle east but also from europe that actually it's putting more pressure on those resources um, right. and increasing prices so yeah. it it kind of could work in one of two directions. And I think 
I think there's a really interesting thing about the geography of hiring, which is, yes, hybrid work or remote work allows us to hire over a much bigger geography. But given a choice, people still look for cultural similarities where they can find them. And so how real, how massive that geography is, is 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 going to be really interesting to find out. Yeah, it is, of course, fashionable to operate in that way. And there are many benefits to it. But culturally, and I'm actually not necessarily talking about team culture in the way you describe, but I'm just thinking about sort of organizational culture. It's easy to say, oh, let's become the sort of employer that hires from all around the world. But actually, the truth is that it's such a fundamental shift in the way of working for a lot of companies that might we just see over time some companies falling by the wayside or reverting back to we only know how to do it one way. Are you seeing that challenge within leaders in terms of how they adapt? I think what we're seeing is that a lot of organisations have changed model without committing to their new model. So if you're trying to work in the way that you worked in an office and do it in all remote or fixed or fluid hybrid, it doesn't work very well. And then there's a, a management, senior management institute, go, well, this doesn't bloody work. Let's just turn it back to the way it was because it worked fine that way, which also now doesn't work necessarily in this context. So for me, I think the missing piece is have you done the hard structural work to plan how it works in whatever new model you've chosen? And does that model work on a practical level for whatever it is business does? Does it work for your talent base? And have you put in the structures, the meeting structures, the communications protocols, the agreements about when and where people work and how they get together and how they you know, address cultural issues or address team issues or loyalty or trust? Have you done that work or not? And you're talking to people at uh, every level of the organisation. It isn't just leaders. Yeah. No. And I'm in, I'm intrigued to hear again that, that that sort of middle layer. It's often the middle which gets squeezed, isn't it? I heard the FT podcast talking about the much maligned middle manager this week. And certainly a lot of the uh, research and surveys I've seen see that a lot of the middle managers, while embracing the flexibility of hybrid and remote work as much as the rest of us, also feel that they're lacking the training in order to be able to manage in this new way and I think there was a lack of skills potentially or perhaps in that area even before COVID is that something that companies are doing enough to address are they recognizing that problem so one of the things we see coming out of COVID and I think it's realigned to people increasing the value of their own time is a hunger for training and development and learning and we see that in the data and the numbers globally that there's a huge um, ask for more professional development and we see it at all levels at boomers the least but we see it at senior leadership levels we see it with the millennials the x the y we see it all the way through so and I think one of the problems that middle managers and you know, younger people, newer people into the workforce are experiencing is that a lot of that training has been moved online and it is deep unsatisfying in many cases. So I was talking to somebody who works for an accounts firm recently. They do one week in six where it's just all online training. They're just sat at their desk doing online training. It Mm. is boring. It is impossible to absorb all the information. They're not building the relationship with their peers that they want to be. Whereas pre-COVID, they went away for a week every six weeks and did the training together as a big gang. They built relationships, they interacted with the teachers. It was a completely different experience. And I think that is a real 
failure of leadership and that's going to lead to more cultural problems and less loyalty and all the things we're talking about so I think training is a huge priority or should be a huge priority and a lot of people don't seem to have clicked onto it yet yeah it's really interesting isn't it that seems like the perfect opportunity to get people together the new off-site is on-site nowadays I suppose I certainly hear talk and certainly have talked to businesses which are fully distributed which use that off-site as an opportunity both for building connection, building relationships, strategy, but training tends to be a big part of that. So is the fact that companies are doing too much of it online a hangover from that kind of immediate shift to remote work and having been reactive to the way that they give opportunities and training to people rather than building it as part of a, a new strategy? I suspect, I strongly suspect it's the accountants, if I'm honest. I think that they realise right. there is enormous saving. You could do yeah. a huge number more people at the same time. Uh, everybody said, well, it worked in lockdown. So why why go back to booking a hotel, transporting everyone? You can cite environmental concerns alongside it. You can justify it. You know, why add that cost base back into the business? Uh, but I would argue that if you're going to build a cost base back, in, that's probably the one to choose, uh, because, mm. you know, especially if you're working hybrid and can give up a percentage of office space um, and don't have everyone together in the same way. Yeah. You've given me an opportunity for a segue there, mentioning the environment. So rewind two years and yeah, ESG, DEI initiatives are very high on the agenda, but that doesn't seem to be quite the priority for some companies now having read your report is this a simple reaction to more challenging economic circumstances is it something else that people just got bored of it well you know what's the so I think again hearing? there are different categories there are different categories of companies so there are some companies that are defined by their mission I was talking to somebody last night who works for a green energy company and she's just saying you know everyone who works for us is really excited about a purpose it's really great for attracting talent it's really great for people so there are people who are using it to their advantage using it really well genuine values is part of their business model great I think there are lots of other businesses who added it on somewhat under duress uh, because it was demanded by boards by shareholders it has to be in the annual report there's some legislation around it and would honestly frankly rather not bother and I think for those organizations when you combine political instability financial instability potential recession if they're they're kind of retreating into doing the absolute minimum possible um and uh you know I, I just heard some great stories about it you know somebody working um on a a sort of uh, diversity committee uh, looking for more gender balance more equal pay in the business and the team was really focused on just trying to get as much data as they could from across the business and basically got told that you know not to waste their time just stop doing it you know just stop digging right. for the data so yeah. um having it previously been approved so this sense of actually we just don't want to confront this stuff right now maybe we don't have the bandwidth maybe we never really were very enthusiastic about it but it's not the moment for us Yeah, I mean, you speak a lot at industry events, but also organisations will ask you to come in and speak about certain topics. What are the kind of top few themes that you'd be asked to come in and discuss? All the stuff that we've just talked about, attraction, retention, overload and burnout and culture and teamwork. I mean, it's just all of it's all of that stuff, I think, with some add on around how do we see a team through the recession um how do we reassure people how do we help people who are in financial hardship are some companies just set up to be able to support people 
better or are they really struggling to think about smart ways which make a difference to people rather than as I think you described it in the report initiativeitis which I thought was a nice phrase yeah there has been a lot of initiativeitis hasn't there uh wacky Wednesdays etc um yeah so I think what we're seeing is organizations who are there are values-led organizations who are thinking right how do we help people who are most in financial hardship I think what's really complex about financial hardship is that it isn't necessarily directly related to your salary so you could say all right there's somebody here who's on 20 grand obviously fuel bills have gone up enormously they're going to be under real pressure there's somebody here on 60 grand they should be golden they've got plenty of capacity but when you then go and interview those two people the person on 20 grand lives with their parents or lives in a shared flat or for whatever reason you know has family behind them is actually sort of feeling like yeah I'd like to earn more but I actually sort of I'm not in crisis the person at 60 who's got too big a mortgage and a car debt and has you know has made assumptions about that or got two kids in nursery is absolutely drowning and running up debts and massively stressed about it and I think mm. organizations who are thoughtful about that are really struggling to to sort of <laughs> manage sort of some of that because somebody else on the 20 grand may be absolutely under it feeling broken and just can't cope and somebody else on 60 might be fine and you obviously can't start distributing cash according to how much debt or spend you know how irresponsible people are with their spending so I think um I think the best organizations are really thinking about this very hard they're looking at their talent and they are trying to make the best decisions that they can to support the people in the greatest need whilst also being fair but I think it's a very very difficult time to be responsible for paying benefits in an organization because if you think about for instance even how benefits are changing a lot of the benefits people would have had pre-covid may not be as relevant now so a lot of people may have benefits including you know business class travel eating in the um office canteen you know all sorts of things that are less relevant if they're not a season ticket loans or you know all that sort of stuff less relevant and so then they're trying to work out well what benefits do people now want and a really nice example is someone saying well for people hard up you know we said anything over statutory minimum holiday you have you can you can sell your holiday and get a bit of extra cash if that's going to help you out so people are kind of looking for ways that they can help people out that are fair and choice driven but also help people who may be struggling are you generally optimistic about what's the, the next 12 months i mean we can't predict what the economy is going to be like clearly but you know seeing how businesses are responding to these many challenges are you confident and do you feel positive that we're going to see improvements or are you fearful? I think I'm really, really excited about the proliferation of new models. I think that is the most exciting yeah. thing that's happened in my career because it's given people the choice of how they work. They can go and work for an organisation that works in a way that works for them. And I think that's brilliant. And so I'm, and I'm optimistic that the demand for that is so high that in a recession where budgets are tight, if you can't afford to pay people 15% more, you can just offer them a different model. I spoke to an NHS director who runs like an outpatient clinic and he's like, well, we couldn't recruit based on salary because we're the NHS. So we offer people a four day week. And the only problem we have is that nobody leaves anymore. So that just gives me great hope because it's like, well, amazing. You know, you offered them something they wanted. You didn't have to pay them more. It works with their lives. Presumably those people have a higher quality of life. Amazing. So I think that's yeah. really really exciting and brilliant and mm. I hope that the recession doesn't mean that people just get sucked back into uh pre-2020 and don't we don't learn from this experience yeah great 
Um, is there anything else I've not asked which would be notable and uh, worth worth discussing? I guess I guess it's one thought that I would end on is where which is interesting me at the moment. I've been doing these interviews in the Middle East and the the thing with the Middle East leaders is that they're so buoyant, they're so optimistic, they're so full of energy. They're just like leaping ahead somehow in psychologically. They're like, you know, what's in three years? What's in five years? What can I embrace? What do I do with VR? How do I use the metaverse? You know, do I need a hologram? What would I do with my hologram? Yeah. They're just having these conversations in a way that I don't hear from European or American leaders apart from in tech and the tech ones are selling that i mean i mean somebody who is thinking of is in a different industry thinking about how they might embrace new ways of working and new ideas and i think that i understand why that is because the news is relentlessly rubbish and we're just like in our holes going how do we get through this week and next week and what happens in january but actually what i'd love to see is sort of people being able to kind of lift up and go okay what what's over there What's exciting? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, having something hopeful for the future is never a bad thing. And it all comes back often to the best companies, those who have a genuine mission and can articulate their vision are the sorts of organizations that people yeah. want to work for. And that, that applies to the, leaders, the leadership as well. Being able to yeah. sell the vision in a way which isn't bullshit, showing people where things are going and giving people the opportunity to be part of it these are sort of all basic leadership and management skills aren't they and of course you don't want to lose sight of those however challenging the economic circumstances so i get that well look thank you very much for your time lovely to see you yeah. thanks very much and best of luck let me know what comes next so that was my conversation with christine i'm sure you enjoyed the conversation as much as i did thanks as ever for listening and i'll see you here again next week